0: We have a new sponsor for the month of March, Stacked Supplements. Stacked Supplements is a locally owned and operated supplement store located in five towns across the Midwest. Cape Girardeau, Missouri, Carbondale, Illinois, Evansville, Indiana, Marion, Illinois, and Paducah, Kentucky. Stacked's goal is to help people get results by providing next-level service, products, and support. Stacked Supplements is more than just a supplement store. They go above and beyond to help each and every customer achieve their goals and improve their health. Check out their wide selection of everything from general health products and vitamins, minerals, to pre-workouts, fat burners, and proteins, and so much more. You can check out their website at stacksupplements.com and the link will be in the show notes. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors, you can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor. coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. I'm excited to have a buddy on with me today, and we're going to be talking about, well, a lot of different things, life, ministry, Christendom. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm talking to Joshua Jenkins. Josh, how's it going, man?
1: Doing good. Appreciate you having me on. Love listening to your podcast
0: myself. So, Well, well good deal. Well, I'm excited about this. We'll talk about uh, singing some psalms here at some point, I'm sure, as well. And uh, we'll talk about uh, Gary North with his laser eyes there and all sorts of fun stuff. But before we do that, let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord's help. And we'll trust that he's going to give it. Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for a brother and a friend and uh, just excited to be able to do some ministry alongside of him as he leads in this conference here later this month uh, or early next month. And just excited to get to know him a little bit, even on the show today. I pray you'd lead this conversation. I trust that you will. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. All right, Joshua, for those that may not know you, why don't you go ahead and just bring us up to speed. Tell us about yourself and your family. And, and a lot of this stuff is new for me too. So I just want to hear about you, but tell us about your, your uh, yourself and your family and then what,
1: what you do in ministry. Yeah, so I'm down here in Springfield, Missouri, and my wife, uh, her name is Brittany, and we got two little boys um, under five, Elias and Bryn Moore, and I pastor, I'm one of the pastors at a church called Hope Baptist Church, we're a Reformed Baptist Church in Springfield. I've been a pastor there since 2017, and it's a, I love. I love my church, basically my whole life is live with these people, uh, in every way we, um, share meals together, work together, do businesses together. It's, it's, a, it's a great group of people. Um, I also work another job as well outside of the ministry, um, actually get to work in a, a company for one of the guys at my church. So it's a pretty, pretty nice deal. Um, but yeah, that's basically the short of it.
0: Awesome. Um, yeah. Okay, so you said you've been there since 2017 at this
1: church. Have you been pastoring before that? Is this your first pastorate? First time in uh, the pastoral position, I was a youth pastor before that uh, in Republic, Missouri. Okay. Um, So while I was there at Republic, I had... I was reforming in a non-reformed church. Okay, good. Gotcha. And uh, reformed myself out of a youth pastor position. <laughs> ah, that's happened many times before. And I thank God for it. So, how old are you now, man? I'm twenty eight.
0: Twenty eight. Okay, man, that's great. Man, tell me about your church then. You said you're doing a lot of life together. Um, is it um, I mean, have you guys over the last couple of years been like a lot of churches where you've wanted to obey the Lord and not give authority? Uh, Ecclesiastical authority over to the state. And because of that, there's been growth. What's what's the last couple of years been like for you guys?
1: Yeah. So I say this not to in any way pat ourselves on the back, but other people have told us this. We were the only church in Springfield, Missouri that did not close down whenever the state locked us down. We had a city locked down for a time with, with the COVID stuff. And we kept meeting and we were, we had been a small church for a long, long time. And that's kind of the nature of a lot of Reformed Baptist churches. Mm-hmm. And it's not like we're a huge church now, but we definitely uh, have grown from just remaining open and people like so many others needed a place to go, needed a place that would not, you know, force mask mandates and those sorts mm-hmm. of things. We had that in the city for over a year. And, um, we've, so yeah, we had people seeking us out and visiting and, um, then end up joining. We've had people move here from Arkansas, uh, to be a part of the group of people. And so God just has put, uh, some solid people in our church through this and really, really grateful for it. So like I said, we're not a huge church now, but definitely we basically doubled in size from what we were. Awesome. So
0: Heck yeah, man. So let's talk about the church economy a little bit. So you said you're guys kind of all working together and hanging out and, and really living life together. Practically, I'm just curious. So what's that look like? You mean, do you have several business owners and you're all working together? Do you uh, buy and sell from one another? Are you learning, you know, you butchering hogs and cows together? And what's that like there at the church then?
1: Yeah, we do have, um, let's see, I guess just one business owner and others that are working on getting to a place of starting businesses and uh, we're trying to help each other do that in any way we can Um, we do have a couple different farmers to different levels who and lots of people who do like just basic chickens and gardens and stuff and we like to buy and sell and give and share with one another as, as we're able to do and support one another and we definitely are trying to do more and more of that in terms of making our church community uh be able to weather the storms which we are entering into it seemed with food shortages and stuff like that hyperinflation coming so if we can get to a point where we're able to feed everyone in our church off of our own with the work of our own hands that's something that we've all been discussing and working towards so definitely heavy on our minds very cool. Have you listened at all to Scott Tungay? Is that a guy that you've heard or listened I to? Have. I have. I, I really enjoy following him on Twitter. I don't listen to regularly his podcasts or anything, but I've enjoyed the things I've seen and heard from him,
0: man. I appreciate that dude. And I'm really, I'm trying to convince him and Kelly, his wife to move here at some point. He spent some time here with Riley and Margo, Riley and Margo both bought some property here and really trying to get these guys' boots on the ground living here. But one of the things Scott is so helpful with, and I'm hoping that he'll start traveling and doing some seminars, is helping and really doing a phenomenal job rallying people around this idea of local economy and and doing that within a church. And it sounds like you already got that, you know, the beginning stages of that happening, which is great. So, I mean, who knows what could happen from, you know, the, the happenings right now with the church and then five years from now, what things could look like, 10 years from now, what things could look like. And it sounds like you got some great things going on there, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, it's nothing that I have cooked up or our other pastor has worked in our people or, you know, it's just God has given us good people and he has sanctified us and given us understanding and ability to work and plan together. So just grateful to God for putting me in this position when we're headed for tough times, it seems. Right. All right. Well, I've watched you over the last
0: couple of years have a trajectory that has been unique and really a trajectory that many would have warned against just a few years ago. You're reading people like Gary North. You're reading R.J. Rush Dooney, You are into uh, theonomy, however you define that. I know many, many people, basically each person, from what I can tell, defines that a little bit differently with some common themes woven throughout their definitions, certainly, but uh, I'd love to hear, so you're a youth pastor who was reforming, now you're at this Reformed Baptist Church, now you're only singing psalms, but you're also <laughs> uh, 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 a 1689 confessional theonomist, and that in and of itself is unique, because Baptists and theonomy, typically theonomy is tied into classic covenantal uh, theology, and so there's some uniquenesses there, but could you just kind of walk through, I'm curious to know, what you're Theological growth has been over the last couple of years, and kind of what some of those high water marks and transitions were for you. I'm just curious to know.
1: Yeah. So I think it started for me, like so many other people, of coming across Paul Washer videos on YouTube when I was a youth pastor or a little time before that, and just making me unafraid to say I was a Calvinist. (laughs) And then as I began to listen to him more, Paul Washer has a robust theology of the family, and that kind of got me thinking. Man, youth youth ministry. Where is that? Where is this in the Bible and this structure? And there was a church in Springfield, which is right next to Republic, where I was a youth pastor. Who was a six, Who is my church now? A 1689 church that is family integrated, okay. and I got to know the guys there while I was a youth pastor and eventually long story short ended up going there, not as a pastor at first, but just to go there to be a member because I was so convicted of these theological positions and practices and went through pastoral training then through that church. And I, I attribute so much of my theological growth and confessionalism and my understanding of the Bible to truly my local church training me, Mm. which I know a lot of guys don't get to say that, but I think it's the biblical ideal as, you know, Paul instructing Titus to train up elders where they are and uh, seek out men and train them up. And that got to happen to me. And I'm so grateful for that. And then just over, you know, since uh, being ordained and installed in 2017, just getting into reading different guys that, um, I think to be honest with you, it was coming across Jeff Durbin (laughs) (laughs) who turned me on to a lot of these guys, like, uh, like you mentioned. And I, you know, and, and just to clarify, I'm not a like Greg Bonson theonomist. I wouldn't agree with his definitions of it, but certainly if all we mean by theonomy is the government is required to obey God's law and govern by God's law. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I would just disagree on what exactly those precise applications and laws would be, but I'm not afraid. It, it's not a, I don't mind being accidentally classified as that, <laughs> you know, where a lot of people are afraid. People right. Are right. Um, so yeah, just reading those guys, uh, and really it was post-millennialism first. Um, and then that kind of goes together with the army and stuff. And I don't know, I'm just kind of rambling. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. No, man, that's, sort of-
0: that's, that's helpful yeah. because, I mean, I think as a lot of guys are listening in, they follow the same trajectory over the last few years as well. And there's several factors I think that have played into that, but it really is a, you know, it's a really neat thing to see starting even before, um, you know, even before 2020 and and all that went down over the last couple of years, some theological trends that seems like, you know, when you're stepping outside of it and looking back just a few years, you're able to see, man, it seems like God was really doing something and has been doing something and, you know, continues to do something that's a really good thing in the midst of everything that's burning and crumbling. And I think what you're describing is representative of what's going on in a lot of guys life and, and similar to what's going on in my life in the last couple of years as well. So I think it's tremendously helpful.
1: Yeah. And I think, uh, Just one clarifying thought on that to help set the perspective correctly, it was really like 2017, 2018, when we started seeing a lot of the woke stuff come out of previously trusted guys, Mm -hmm. and that was sort of the catalyst to open my eyes to the shallowness, the the real neo-version of the neo-gospel-centered movement or Mm neo-Calvinism, and to see it as not um, entrenched in real historical confessionalism and theology, yeah. So that was a catalyst God used to kind of shift me from reading those guys to other other guys before. Right. Well, one of the things that is lacking,
0: even with some of you know Banner of Truth itself as they're republishing Puritans, one of the one of the things that is missed in this modern um, new neo you know neo Calvinism that the young restless and perform tag has been tied to for the last two decades or yeah, probably last two decades now. um, Is this understanding of, of God's word being authoritative in all of life and that, really has captured me going back into 2018. The last last sermon I preached in 2018 was about uh was in, from Mark chapter nine and where Jesus like, hey, if, if anyone's ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of him before my father in heaven and before the holy angels. And I remember that really just something really just set me free about that to realize, you know what, it doesn't God's word is is authoritative everywhere. And I'm not allowed to be in any area of life embarrassed about what God has to say. And that means the proclamation of God's word to the church. It means the uh, proclamation of God's word in my home. It means the proclamation of God's word in the world. We don't get to stutter or be embarrassed about what God has to say. And what God has to say is authoritative everywhere. And I was talking with uh, Jason Garwood a couple, let's say about three or four weeks ago. And he had asked me a question. What's the what is the central issue facing the church over the next couple of years? And my response was a recognition of the authority of God's word in all of life. And if we can get that down and believe that, then that has massive consequences in the, you know, in, uh, in and for the church and for pastors that are listening here, this uh, movement, this gospel center movement, gospel coalition um, for the church, some of these uh, outlets that have pushed gospel centered, stuff and resources over the last, I mean, you know, again, go back to two decades. Um, This is just a massive hole about God's word being authoritative everywhere in all of life. And so, you know, kind of thinking through this conference that's coming up, you're talking about things that people would label as tertiary, people would label as secondary or third tier issues. Would you just lay out what we're doing in this conference, this Christendom conference and why you wanted to do this conference and then you know, I think we'll be able to un- unpack a lot from that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, our our perspective is that we have uh, a lot of work to do in earth and in history as Christians, as the Church, and there is um, a lot of foundations that are shaking right now in terms of the society we live in, in terms of the secular world around us, and we believe that we're going to still be here. Like things are shaking in the world, but when God shakes things up, he does that so that what cannot be shaken remains, Mm. which is the kingdom of God that we've been given. And so we need to figure out as Christians, if we want to, you know, the Bible says that a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And so if we're thinking about how do we love our grandchildren, we need to be thinking about how can we um, not just hole up and, and survive the, the, the times we're facing. You know, we're gonna be talking about things like hyperinflation, uh, medical tyranny, uh, food tyranny, which is people don't realize how many government tentacles are in our food. But we're gonna talk about those sorts of things and how, how we survive what's coming, but not just how we survive, but how we positively lay a foundation to begin to build when everything is, is, is crashed down, when the current system fails, because mm. like as, as Doug Wilson has said before, if something cannot go on forever, then it won't. Mm-hmm. And our current system is built on, in so many ways, just unbiblical principles and things. It can't go on forever, and so it won't. So how do we not only survive it, but lay foundations for our children's children mm-hmm. to be able to build the next Christendom?
0: Man, that's so good. You know, it, like things are crazy. I mean, it's insane right now, and it's so insane that, I mean, the church's response as a whole, broad stroke here, over the last two or three years, has been so ridiculous and frustrating, and, you know, when I hear the, the themes of this conference and think about what you're talking about, you know what, we're, we're talking about some of the exact same things at our church, and Sunday, last, last uh, let, me, let me think, uh, two weeks ago, we asked, who here is raising rabbits for meat, who here is raising chickens, who here is uh been growing gardens the last few years and we're learning from each other based on skills and competencies and and beginning to grow those skills and competencies because those things matter so much right now and what we're facing and i love that you know multi-generational outlook i mean we're we're wanting to build i mean this, this is the whole idea of christian reconstruction which has been maligned over the years has been get healthy households have kids raise them in the discipline and the instruction of the lord have healthy covenant communities and then watch god work Over the decades, over the generations, yeah. And uh, why do you think this conference, if it was done three years ago, you know, it's being done right now. And I think there's a lot of people that are thinking that's that's awesome. I would love to hear that. That's really interesting. But to be honest, if if this was me, Jared Sparks, in 2017 hearing the conference titles, I would think, what's the point of any, what, what's the, what in the world, what are you doing here, Josh? <laughs> yeah. So um, what is it about the last couple of years, that, and to me, this has been intellectually and theologically invigorating, but why have we so missed the importance of things like this in our lifetime?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a combination of things, just an inherited comfort in this uh, society, which we've had for so long. We've so for so long been just living a certain way. And now we're finally starting to see um, the government do things we never thought it would do. We're, we're starting to see actually empty spots in our grocery shelves when we go there. Mm-hmm. Right. And we weren't thinking long term. we were just, oh, you know, we have comfort now. We have everything we need now we just, we didn't think that it was possible to get here. And I'm as guilty as anyone. I think the other thing that's leading us to this point now is I think both worldviews are, are becoming more and more self-conscious. Like the, the, the the secular humanists, the statists are becoming more self-conscious of their worldview. And what I mean is they're becoming more and more aware that they are enemies of Christ and his church and his Mm -hmm. people right and so they're they're acting that out more and more and that means that christians we've got to be as well more and more self-conscious of our position and going back to what you're saying about not being afraid of anything that god's word says because the enemy is not afraid to oppose it Mm -hmm. right and so i think just i think the the Progression of both worldviews, the secularists and the Christians, has developed become more and more self conscious, and what we believe theologically and you know theoretically plays itself out. And so we're seeing those things play out. Churches are prospering that are more self conscious of who they are, and suffering and hardship is happening as the statists and humanists are being more self conscious of who they are. Right. So we're both post millennialists,
0: and. Yeah you know, both have this global conquest vision. Adam failed to fill the earth and subdue it. Jesus comes, he's doing it. Purchased a people for God from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And then he's commissioned us on this global mission to train the nations. So Jesus will do what Adam failed to do. It's happening in real life. We're seeing it. We're a part of it. And, you know, we're expecting it. But in the short term, I think we both expect things could get right here worse for a, period of time. Uh, However, I've noticed some trends, and I see this even with Michael Foster as he talks about trends of revival that he's seeing or some signs of revival that he's seeing as he's talking to men throughout this country and really throughout the world. And then I'm on Gab, and I know you're on Gab as well, and I'm not nearly on I'm hardly ever on Facebook um, and I'm not on Twitter or Twitter anymore, but there's a massive difference between Twitter, Facebook, and Gab. I mean, you can say things on yeah. Gab and, every, you know, the most controversial things on Facebook and Twitter are fully agreed with on Gab. I mean, it's just a total different group, you know, in mm-hmm. that, in that platform. However, from what I can tell, and even like Torba is talking about, he, he thinks there is a massive shift both in the political realm to the right, but also theologically to the right, this massive shift that's about to happen where people are just totally and utterly fed up. Do you think there's any plausibility to that? Do you think, you know, like I do, that yes, we might be going into this time and we're preparing our people to raise their own food, we're preparing our people to build their own local economy together and trying to help? to think through, I encouraged our people Sunday to get money out of banks and buy some precious metals. I was encouraging people not to be alarmed, not to be an alarmist, but think about getting some silver in your house, you know, things like that. Um, But do you think that there is any plausibility to this massive cultural shift to the right of just everybody sticking up the proverbial bird to all the nonsense and saying, forget you, we're done, we're past this, Let's move on back into reality. Do you think there's any credibility
1: to that? I would certainly hope and pray for that, and I would never say it's not not implausible. The thing to to understand, though, about something like that, which makes me makes me a little bit uh, skeptical of saying it'll be mass revival or mass uh, change, is that. In, in order for real sustained change to happen it has to come through repentance mm-hmm. and so those you know who are more center right sort of people nominally religious people who are getting fed up with things they can't just say all right you know forget you let's mm-hmm. let's you know we're gonna go back to the way we used you know conservative ways whatever they themselves are gonna have to repent yeah that's good. and that's a hard thing repentance is hard and By God's grace, He gives it and loves to give it, but that's what it will take, and that will be a work of God. So Mm. pray for that, hope for that. But that's what is a required uh, element of it to see true change in repentance and reformation. Yeah.
0: Amen. Let's talk to pastors real quick and let's wrap it up with that. Um, there's been a sifting in the American church and the American pastorate, and there's been the the line in the sand has been drawn and uh we've seen pastors that previously we thought this is just personally lo- locally anecdotally pastors previously that i thought didn't have a spine all of a sudden the last couple of years they've really leaned into god's word and i've seen god do a real work in them where i've been i'm in the trenches with them maybe it's even cross denominational lines but it's just uh, a recognition that man that's a man that that i can fight with that's a man that i, I- i'm seeing god work in and that's a pastor that people who, you know, that the rest of his shepherding team and that church are blessed that he's a part of that church. And then I've seen pastors that have previously been bold and now they've folded completely. And we've, we've all, you know, the, the big caricatures are guys like Russ Moore, where it's just makes Mm -hmm. you so it's just what in the world has happened. And so let's talk to pastors for a little bit. What is, we want to love fellow churchmen, and we want to care for fellow churchmen. And we also want to embolden with the Lord's help other fellow churchmen and encourage them. And so your opportunity here to speak to the guys that are listening in, um, what do you have to say to pastors in this moment uh, by way of encouraging them and challenging them not to go the route of folding and not to go the route of the Russ Moore um, kind of stream?
1: Yeah, I think I would just go back and remind us all of the basics that is so important. And that is that we're all going to stand before God one day. As a pastor, you're going to answer to God for how you cared for the souls that God entrusted to you. And you don't want to be one who was a coward because cowards, the Bible says, goes, goes, uh, go to hell. Mm-hmm. And so don't be a coward. Understand that you you will answer for the souls under your care. And I, I would just say, in a practical thing to help is I would really encourage people to read biographies of great men who were born and were placed by God in times where there was a great need for a man to stand up and understand in reading these stories. Look, you're part of God's story that He's telling in history. He has placed you where He's placed you at this time for a reason. And now's your time to be a man. Mm-hmm. And when I think about the, the place in the world right now, where we are, where there's, you know, these, you know, the world economic forum and these globalists who are trying to, you know, the great reset thing, you know, that's not a conspiracy theory. That's on video telling us they're doing it. The globalists are trying to win. And I'm optimistic and hopeful because I know they're evil, wicked people and they can do a lot of pain, uh, do a lot of evil things to to hurt people, but I know they're not going to win because historically you look at when things happen it's good men that end up winning in the Mm -hmm. end and the globalists aren't going to win it's going to be good men it's going to be men who have courage men who believe in the triune god and worship him alone and so don't you want to be one of those men um Mm -hmm. i just i I would just pray that yeah
0: amen i definitely don't want to be an old man reflecting on what God has done over the years and the decades, looking back and having this period of time where I just am ashamed and I folded and I didn't stand and I didn't obey God over man. And uh, and I want to be able to be the kind of man that my children and grandchildren look up to. I don't want to be the kind of man that my grandchild looks and thinks, my goodness, my grandpa is He has no spine whatsoever. And, uh, uh, man, that's good stuff. I always set people up at the very end to praise God for his grace, Joshua Jenkins, brother, tell me why you love Jesus.
1: I love Jesus because he's not a loser. Um, I love him because he rose from the dead. He's not dead. He's alive. And he defeated Satan, hell, death. Demons, the principalities and powers, the demonic forces of darkness, he disarmed them and threw them down from their places of authority, and now he is the reigning king. And I love him because he is continuing to do that work, and he's not going to let his world be given over to Satan because he's already defeated Satan. Mm, amen. So he's going to have what is his. The nations will be his. He will put all enemies under his feet and then he will give the kingdom to his father. And I'm so grateful that by his grace, I get to be a part of that Mm -hmm. and that he has conquered me and defeated me. And now I'm his. And so that's why I love him. That is good stuff. All right. Tell us about the
0: conference where we can find out more information and then we'll wrap it up.
1: Yeah. Please go to hope slash conference. HopeBaptistchurch.com slash conference will take you right to that page. Um, the conference is free. Uh it's in pretty much an all-day thing. We have a light breakfast at 8:15, and then we'll be ending probably. I think that we have a QA at three o'clock, and after that we're done. And then there's a post-conference uh after party, which more details will be released later. Uh, But yeah, if you just sign up, please sign up because we are providing a lunch as well for free. And so we need the best count on numbers we can to prepare. And it's going to be a great lunch. The guy that we have speaking on, we have a guy talking about food tyranny and Christian agrarianism uh, as an optimistic alternative. And this guy himself is a Christian agrarian. He's a farmer producer. And he's going to be not only talking, but preparing the food and I've ate his prepared meats before, and there's nothing else I'd rather eat. So it's going to be good stuff, but we need to know you're there so we can have enough. So, And you'll find all the other information there on that conference uh, page, as well as one of the things I want to say about it, we are going to be emphasizing psalm singing at our conference. And one of the big reasons is I think one of the reasons we're in the place where we're at culturally is because we have abandoned psalm singing, particularly we've abandoned imprecatory psalms, praying and singing them. And maybe it's no wonder that our enemies are surrounding us and building up around us if we've not been asking God to destroy them. Mm. And so we're going to be singing some imprecatory psalms, some psalms about Christ's kingdom, and we believe that that is essential when you look at history every reformation is accompanied by a recovery of psalm singing and so we want to build that up and encourage people to go back to their churches and and do what they can to do that so it's going to be a really really good time but uh, let us know you're coming awesome well we cannot
0: wait to be a part of it can't wait to sing some imprecatory psalms and uh, (laughs) it's going to be a lot of fun man can't wait to be there all right guys we've been talking to pastor joshua jenkins josh thanks so much man
1: Hey, thanks for having me. And hey, everybody, Jared Sparks is one of our speakers. He didn't even say it. He's going to be there talking about medical tyranny and Christian resistance. And I can't wait to hear that. Absolutely. It's going to be it's going to be a good time. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Thank you.